Okay, if you can be opening turning to Titus and chapter 2. And we'll read the whole of the chapter. Everyone's very quiet this morning. Are we doing all right? <laughs> but as for you... Uh, no, don't, don't worry, Peter, it's okay. <laughs> but as for you, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. That the older men may be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. The old women likewise, that they may be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things. That they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, good, obedient to their own husband, and the, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded. In all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works in doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say to you. Exhort bondservants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Saviour in all things. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Saviour Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke, with all authority, let no one despise you. Over the last 150 years or so, there's been a dialogue going on in the Western world, particularly coming through in our art, our literature, our films, in everything, that rebellion is good, that non-conformance is what it's all about. On my wall, I have a picture at home of Marlon Brando, Standing, looking the coolest dude on the planet, in leathers, by a Triumph Bonneville motorbike. And it's taken from a film called The Wild Ones. And in that film, he's asked, what are you rebelling against? And his reply, what do you got? Rebellion is held up to be something that we should aspire to. We see the icons of culture through the years. We see Johnny Rotten and Sid Vicious from the punk era. We see all of this coming right through to our current day. When the Arab Spring took place, many people were rejoicing because people were coming out from under under conformance and rebelling against those who were in authority. And yet what we see is a destabilization of the Middle East, which has had catastrophic uh, consequences for that whole region. Rebellion is held up to be the thing that we should aspire to. And yet this is completely contrasting to the Greek society in which Paul was writing at this time. Within Greek society, conformance was actually what was desirable. The great 
philosophical writers such as Plato and Aristotle wrote at length about the, how we should be good citizens and how we should order our lives in order to enhance society. Because rebellion, you see, was seen as being that which would undermine the state and would cause collapse of, of the, of the society and of the state and of all things that would hold things, people's lives in order and in, in good order. Socrates, of course, was invited to commit suicide because he was bringing the young people into corruption. And so that was seen as something that was against the work of the state to keep order and keep things in good order, good, 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 in a good way within society. And so what we see here is Paul actually reinforcing how we should live as citizens, as good citizens, in good order in our lives. And within the society in which we live, being good is not held up to be one of the great virtues. We, ad- we give adulation to people who break out and are non-conforming and break the mold. And yet that's completely the opposite to what Paul is in- instructing for us to be. He's telling us, live as good citizens. The only place where we can bring ourselves into disrepute is when we make a stand for Jesus and society doesn't like it. That's what he encourages. Be good in every other way, but when it comes to Jesus, you take a stand. So it's countercultural to our own, to our own society, what Paul is writing. He's telling us actually to be good citizens and to conform and not to do anything that's going to undermine the testimony that God has given us. And in it, we see one of the, what are called the household codes. And they occur a number of times within scripture. They're in Timothy, Ephesians 5 and 6, Colossians 3 to 4. And Paul here is laying out a household code so that wherever we fit within the household, we know how to live with the others within the house. Because the household within a Greco-Roman society was the basic building block that held everything together. This wasn't the nuclear family as we experience it today, but the extended family, more akin to way, for example, those people in India live, where you have the grandparents, the children, the great-grandchildren, the cousins, everybody who might live under the same roof. And this is the kind of household that Paul is writing to. And this wasn't the only kind of household code that you would find in the ancient writings. If you go to the writings of Aristotle or to the Stoics, or even in Judaism to Philo, they also would have household codes such as Paul writes here. The difference is that that very much there is a Christian stance stance on. This is how you should live in good order as Christians within the house and within society. Within our own society, as we've pursued this path of non-conformance and rebellion over the last 50 years or so especially, is society more stable? No. We see divorce rates rising. We see lots more children in care. We see rising levels of mental illness. This rebellion does not lead to stability or security or... or um, um, a good way of living. It leads to a breakdown of our society. There's some good elements come out of it, but it's always at a cost. 
And Paul's motive in writing this household code was that in order that the behaviors of the members of the burgeoning church should not bring the gospel into disrepute. And the basic tenet of his writing is that Christians should behave with integrity and not do anything that will attract the wrong kind of attention to the church. He's not saying conform at all costs. Because if by doing what's right we attract persecution, that's one thing. But if we only attract attention by using our freedom in an inappropriate way, that's quite another. And so Paul is reinforcing here a way to live that aligns with the gospel and models good citizenship. Before we get into the details of these codes, perhaps we need to ask whether these big ways of behaving are still relevant for us, since our social setting is so different from that into which these codes were written. And I believe there are principles within these codes that can and should guide our behavior as Christians so that it aligns with the gospel. See, living as a Christian is about belonging to a group of people, believing in what Jesus has done, and then behaving in a manner that's appropriate that flows out of that. That's the correct order. But all three are necessary. And behavior should flow out of the first two. Nevertheless, we're all on a journey in which our behavior needs to begin to align with what we say we believe. So let's look at these codes in a little more detail. We begin with older men. And older men within New Testament times meant anyone over 30. So that's pretty much all of us here. So you're listening. Essentially, Paul tells us as older men four things. Firstly, be sober. In other words, don't be drunkards. Don't go out and get drunk every night or every weekend. Number one. Secondly, be dignified and worthy of respect. In other words, we're to be men who gain the respect of others within society by being people of integrity. People who keep our word, who don't lie, who don't malign others. Thirdly, we're to be sensible or self-controlled. In other words, able to keep our behavior in check so that we don't allow our lusts and desires to drive us, but act out of our head and not simply out of our passions or out of our feelings. And then fourthly, he tells us, we're to be healthy or sound in the faith, in love and in patience. In other words, solid in what we believe and how we work it out with others continuing to grow in the faith. Nothing too scary there, is there, chaps? As an aside, people in the world often think sensible people are boring, don't they? Well, perhaps they are. Although I don't consider myself particularly boring. But better to be boring and not bring the gospel into disrepute than to be any other way. Okay, that's the blokes dealt with. The old blokes. How about older women? That's women over 30. (laughs) And Paul again urges four things. Firstly, be reverent in behavior. And I was struck by that word reverent. I'm not sure how it's translated in other, in other gospels. Sorry, in other translations. But it, the, the King James Version renders it, in behavior as becometh holiness. 
in behavior as becometh holiness. I like that. In other words, it literally means to act like a sacred person. That's what it means. To let your behavior align with the fact that you are now holy. Ladies, you are holy. Jesus has declared you holy. That's what it's saying. Now act like it. (laughs) Of course you do. Then he says, don't be a slanderer or a gossip. We all know how destructive slander and gossip can be. And there should be no such behavior in the church. Gossip is a tool of the enemy to undermine leadership and to undermine relationships within the body of Christ. There should be no slander, no gossip, no backbiting, no talking and chatting about other people. That's what he's saying. If you've got a problem with someone, deal with it with them. Not go and tell your friend or your neighbor. Then he says, and I can't think why this was a problem for the ladies in the New Testament. Not addicted to much wine. Because too much wine reduces our inhibitions and loosens our behavior, undermining our self-control. And then fourthly, he gives an instruction to the ladies. Teach what is good. It's interesting that women are commissioned here specifically to teach good behavior and specifically to teach it to the younger women. That's their responsibility. And part of the reason for this is that Paul didn't want Titus teaching the young women. He instructs Titus to teach the older women, to teach the older men, to teach the younger men. But he says, Titus, leave the young women alone. It's too dangerous. So he says, older women, you're the ones there. Give them the responsibility to teach the younger women. And I think that's a good principle. So he comes on to the younger women. And here we're given a number of instructions as to how they are to behave in the home. And all of this might seem a bit old-fashioned and discordant to the modern ear, but we have to hear it within the context of the culture. The teaching of the gospel was giving women recognition and a role that was quite distinct in the culture of the time. Women were chattels. They were subject to their husbands. They were there to just do as they were told. And yet within the church, Paul declared, In Galatians 3.28, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. And women were being given a role alongside the men in in building the church. And you only have to look through the list in Romans 16, how many women Paul commends for doing work, which was was totally countercultural because they were given status and an opportunity to actually get involved. And so within the church, women were seen as having equal status with men and a role to play. However, if those who were married to non-Christians went home and affirmed their equal status, it would have brought trouble for the church. And so Paul tells them, when you're at home, behave in such a way that no one will malign the word of God. Behave in such a way with your husbands at home that's not going to bring trouble for the church and will not bring the gospel into disrepute. And this is the recurring theme. Don't do anything that's going to bring the gospel into disrepute. Conform to what society expects so that you're not causing an issue. Of course, when society is being unjust, then you can take a stand. But if it's not doing stuff that's that's going to compromise your faith, conform, because it will help. 
give you a platform from which you can share the good news. That's Paul's thrust throughout this passage. And so he comes to the young men. And this applies to all those from teenage years to the age of 30. And Paul's instruction to the young men is simple. Encourage young men to be self-controlled. Some things never change. It's when we're young that we want to take on the world. It's when we're young that we feel invincible. It's when we're young that our passions are at their strongest and most powerful. And Paul is encouraging young men not to be driven by such things, but to be sensible. And once more, this is not a message that's often heard or well-received within the modern Western world, but it's still appropriate for those wanting to follow Christ. And having said this, the rest of Paul's instructions regarding young men are to Titus himself, urging him to be a good example to the young men in both action and in speech. Men, we have responsibility not just to ourselves, not just to the Lord, but also to the younger men, to act appropriately, to be a good example to them. People learn more from what they observe about the way we live than by what we say. Example is the most powerful thing we have. Our example gives a legitimacy to the way people live who follow us and look to us. Use it wisely. Remember that you're not just living for yourself, but you're living for the sake of the gospel and for those who come after. And then Paul addresses slaves. And once more, in order to understand Paul's teaching on slaves, we need to understand the culture of the day. In the Greco-Roman world, slaves were like electricity. Nothing would work without them. And the New New Testament advocates freedom through the gospel. And Paul does challenge the notion of slavery in the book of Philemon. But he also, for the most part, accepts slavery as the social setting in which the the gospel was functioning. He doesn't accept slavery per se because he's advocating freedom. But he's saying, if that's the social setting in which you find yourself, then work within it. Obviously, it's out of in many cases, the action of Christians that's brought slavery in the Western world to an end, although we still face much slavery through trafficking and so on. 27, no, it's now 30 million people are enslaved in our modern day. And we, our voices need to be heard in that, in that battle to change that. Nevertheless, Paul is, has challenged slavery with Philemon, but he's saying, if you find yourself as a slave, there is a way to behave. Again, so as not to bring the gospel into disrepute. And we can apply this to how we behave in the workplace. And so to workers, Paul gives the following instructions. Do as you're asked to do without quibbling. That's the first thing. When we're asked to do something at work, is the first thing we do is go and chat to somebody else and say, this is unfair, they've asked me to do this and that and the other. Well, Paul says, do it without quibbling. Secondly, he says, don't talk back to your boss. That can be a challenge sometimes, particularly if we don't like our boss very much or if they're being un- we think they're being unfair. He says, don't talk back to them. Thirdly, he says, be honest at work. Don't try and steal from work, whether that's stationary, time, or money. Don't steal. Be honest. And then fourthly, he says, be trustworthy and reliable. All of those things 
of the ways of acting with integrity. And Paul says this is going to make the gospel attractive. Through our behavior, through being people of integrity, we, will, we build a platform which, from which we can share the good news. And if we're always moaning, stealing from the company, and generally acting in an untrustworthy manner, nobody's going to listen to us if we tell them a message about peace, love, and sins forgiven. Our words and our actions must line up. And this brings us to the final section of the chapter. And this section gives the whole raison d'etre of everything that's gone before, the reason for it being there. And it begins with the grace of God. He says, the grace of God has been poured out on the world at this time. And each one of us can only know God and come into relationship with him because of that grace. As we've recently heard, we are saved by grace alone. However, that grace then teaches us how to behave. And our behavior flows out of the grace that we've received. Now, at this point, I have a confession to make. I have an addiction. I'm addicted to wine gums. If I have one wine gum, I have to eat the whole packet. My only way of controlling my addiction is not to buy wine gums. Occasionally in Morrison's, I ask to go down the wine gum alley and be tied to the trolley so that I can sweep past the wine gums, hearing them calling to me. Without...